Diamondback has been your hometown source for all your shooting and personal protection needs for over 17 years. We stock handguns, shotguns, and rifles from all the major manufacturers, including Glock, Sig, Smith & Wesson, Ruger, Colt, LMT, H&K, CZ, Mossberg, and Springfield. You'll find the biggest and best selection of all holsters in southern Arizona at Diamondback, along with all the accessories needed to maintain your firearms. Don't forget optics and the best ammo prices around. A&R parts are available from Magpul, Troy, Voltar, G&G, Surefire, Ogden Works, and we are a Class 3 dealer, so be sure to ask about silencers. They're legal to own and hunt with in Arizona, and they make shooting even that much more enjoyable. We now have a full-time gunsmith on site, everything from basic gun repair to custom metalwork and Cerakote finishing. Training classes for novice to advanced. Students in pistol, rifle, and shotgun are now available. Pick up a schedule today for more information. Can you tell me the name of one of the most distinctive resorts in Tucson that offers a variety of suites and rooms, providing guests with spectacular scenic views of the desert as well as the mountains? Any ideas? Well, here's a hint. Amazing cuisine and beautiful horses. That's right, you guessed it, Tanca Verde Ranch. Come make some cool memories. Visit TancaVerdeRanch.com for questions on accommodations, dude ranch activities, and restaurant hours. TancaVerdeRanch.com. Proud member of the Tucson Originals. We were just thinking, what would happen if our hosts all drank an evil potion that made them sound exactly the same? The same stance on the issues, the same partisan rants. Oh, that's right. We'd sound like all the other talk stations. Phew. Let's hope that never happens. The power to think for yourself. From hosts that think for themselves, too. given to me by Woody Shaw, Sonship, Dizzy, and John Kahn, dedicated to pursuing a piece of our cultural heritage through interviews with my music heroes. This is The Jake Feinberg Show. Inside the Parisi Palace, high above 2919 East Broadway, this is the Jake Feinberg Show, streaming worldwide on PowerTalk1210.com. Stream all of our live local shows 
it is an honor to be part uh, that you're part of the, that you're part of the program today, and uh, it is an honor to bring in one of my oldest friends on the program, a guy who has uh, been with me through thick and thin. At times, I can might take him over the edge with my social media presence, but by and large, he understands uh, what I'm trying to do, and it's great to have him back on the program. Gary Bartz, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. You, Jake. You can you hear me? I can hear you good. Can you hear me? Okay. You know, I wanted to, uh, Gary, I wanted to ask you uh, how proud you are of Barack Obama. Um, as proud as I am of any brilliant man. <laughs> no, I mean, because I don't think I've ever heard anybody ask that question in the media, um, considering that he basically... Uh, has been there eight years, has been elected by millions of people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, million, I think there's a silent, I think one of the interesting things, though, there's going to be a, a lot of stories written about a silent minority of people who, mm-hmm. could, who could never admit in their social circles that they voted for him. And mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of a shame because now you have a situation where you have um, at least part of one party probably will fissure into a conservative party that really wants to basically eliminate him entirely from the record books. So well, that's going to be impossible. Yeah, of course. But what I well, but they're trying, and they've had eight years. He's had, he's done eight years. He was elected fairly twice, mm-hmm. and and I know he's got the sharpest people around him, and he's not dealing with he's not in the muck and mire every day, which might be mm-hmm. one of the one of the things that's. You know, uh, it would have been, it would be dangerous, but it would actually be laudable. But I just wanted you to talk about what are the things that you're most proud of uh, mm-hmm. about Barack Obama. Well, I, I think uh, his fairness. I think um, I think he's a brilliant man. I think um, he he knows and knew what he was up against, and um, he I mean he did the best he could considering with what he had to work with it's kind of like uh being um what stephen curry on the philadelphia 76 (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i mean that's yeah i mean but that 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 might mean i mean only 25 wins instead of seven seven or nine you know absolutely right that's what i mean (laughs) but i mean do you do you really think he knew do you really think he really knew what he like not only the uh just the obstruction, but also like the veiled sort of covert uh, cultural bias that he was going to encounter uh, nearly every day, and and just to the point where like, uh, I mean, he's not a perfect person, but do you re in your in your mind you really believe that he knew what he was going to face? I'm not sure if he knew how uh, what. Uh, uh, dangerous turn it would really take but what it did what happened is that it revealed the undercurrent and the undercover of this country and it showed that this country has yet to get over the slavery issue it has yet to get over the racist the racism that this country very foundation was built on it has yet it it, you know his two terms revealed that there's a big problem 
this country, and we have yet to face it. And we've had all of these leaders. We've had brilliant men been uh, to have been assassinated because they were saying the very thing that happened. And so, I, I, whether he knew that that would happen, I, I don't. I don't think so. But being a, uh, um, I guess, uh, of African heritage um, in his immediate family. Um, I'm sure he knew that it were going to be many problems. I mean, it's also like, uh, I already know, I can see it. Uh, I'm not a prophet, but I know that within a year or two, he, his approval rating, he, he's going to get more done outside of office as a regular citizen, as a private citizen. His, his popularity is going to be uh, 80, I mean, so high. I, I guess that's what mm-hmm. I, I don't understand. I mean, okay, so like Bobby can Maybe he was looking that far down the line. I, I mean, I mean maybe Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter, I think, has done more after his presidency than during. Yeah, Bill Clinton. He, Bill Clinton too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you how do you, how do you think? I, I just I always wonder this: uh, if <laughs> if Booker Irvin and Max Roach and Art Blakey were part of his cabinet, what would they? have advised Barack to do? Would they have told him to, I mean, what would Max Roach's advice have been to Barack? I know he's, he gets dubbed like professorial or, you know, mm-hmm. he talks above, above the chatter and he, and, and he does it so classy too. It's amazing that he, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I get that again, I understand that, you know, he really, un, he gets it and he's in it and he's not like one of these hate radio mongers or people like that. But mm-hmm. What's Max's, in your mind, what would Max Roach be advising him to do uh, differently than he did? (laughs) (laughs) I think Max would advise him to hire either Clifford Brown or Booker Little. Uh, Art Blakey would say hire Lee Morgan. (laughs) (laughs) Somewhere Woody Shaw would get advocated for, I'm sure. Oh, Woody got to be in there, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying, like, those cats, I mean... To me, it's yeah. like, why, why, why? I, I, I know, I mean, they have this International Jazz Day coming up in the middle of, of this month. And, mm-hmm. I mean, I dig it. I, I, I mean, you know, you look at it, and Aretha's going there, and Buddy Guy, mm-hmm. and Herbie, and, um, mm-hmm. and it's all sort of lumped into, like... All of the usual suspects. Right. The, I mean, the guys that are... <laughs> you know what it is, Gary? It's like, okay, so you're lumping it into one big global day, but what about mm-hmm. momentum and consistency? I guess that's the point of my show is that I've just tried to bring musicians in mm-hmm. into the dialogue. I don't. To me, it was it's uh, it is it would be avant garde to do it. But man, I really feel like I mean, you look at a guy like Van Jones. The guy was run out of town. He's the closest mm-hmm. thing to a kind of a, a, a like has a Rochian concept that I've. I mean, there's just nobody there, and I I I, mm-hmm. I, I just would want. I, to me, it was. Uh, it's it's fascinating to. Uh, I agree that it exposed the underbelly of the beast, but um, it almost seems like <laughs> the guilt is going to take us right over the edge. Well, I, I, I'm not sure. It, you know, it's it's something that growing up, especially where I grew up, um, none of this is new. And the way it seems to me is that it has gotten worse. I I never feared so much uh, the police. 
as I do in this day and age. And I grew up in a racist, in a segregated town, but we actually knew the police. Right. We, and they were mostly white. Mm-hmm. If we saw a black policeman, it was very rare. But they walked the beat. They used to walk the beat, so we knew them. They knew us. It was a whole different, they, you know, they wouldn't go out and shoot someone that they knew. <laughs> you know, they knew their moms and dads. Nowadays, you they are anonymous. The police are anonymous nowadays. And, and that, to me, is really, if it's not already, it's very close to a police state. I agree. And I think the scary thing for me, and I want, I want to get your thoughts on this, you just made a very good point, um, where, again, with the gun laws in this country, police don't know who is carrying a gun or not. But my point, mm-hmm. but my point is that after 9-11... If, if bin Laden's goal was to turn people against each other, then he's he's succeeded very well because to me it's like I in Tucson, there is a really heavy police presence. I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. more than you would think. I mean, they are present. They are out and they are looking. They are honestly looking to mm-hmm. find people. I mean, it, it, part yeah. of that s- speaks to the, well, that's their job. That is their job. But is that always? Max Roach yeah. said something to me one time. We were driving down, I think, to Philadelphia from New York, and it was just me and him. Um, and the police pulled us over. And I used to always have a problem. Oh man, here we go. And so he says, "Just be calm. Just be careful. They're doing their job. <laughs> That's their job. Yeah. Their job doesn't begin until somebody does something." They have no job. Uh, so they, therefore, if nobody's doing anything, then they're looking for someone to do something. You know, that's their job. So, but, but I mean, you know, uh, the Gary, problem yeah, is but, that yeah, go they, they have no morals nowadays. They, 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 they are letting people on the police force who shouldn't be on the police force. But what about the idea that, I mean, it's the, obviously the highest profile cases but you look at a guy like uh, Garner. Garner wasn't doing anything, and he got choked to death. So what I'm saying is, I'm saying, yeah. I've seen it all my life. I know, I know. I, I, I feel a little bit at 38 and growing up in Stony Brook, Long Island. I realize that I am pretty naive. But I just, I mean, it's all mm-hmm. bubbled up to the surface, and I, I think that uh, and Barack was the antecedent for that. I mean, you know, and and yet, um, I don't get it because he seems like a pretty. <laughs> moderate guy i mean he almost comes across he's he's certainly not a liberal person and and i don't um how do you also gary as a leader in your own right how would how do you deal or how would you deal with the fact of being vilified even though you're trying to lead in a positive loving nature how do you counteract vilification because that, that mean they basically uh tried to vilify him as a monster he's not though who do you mean? I'm Who talking about Barack. I'm talking about Obama. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I'm saying like... Well, uh, yeah. they've done that. You demonize. They, they, I watched them demonize Malcolm X. I watched them demonize. Anyone that goes against... And this has to do with the industry that you're a part of, which is the media. Mm-hmm. Um, they play a big part in all of this. They absolutely do. All of this negativity. I mean, I went, yeah, me and my wife went to the movies last night to see... Uh, Batman versus Superman, which was a very interesting movie, but some of the previews of the movies that they were showing, it, it's nothing but pure brainwash. 
pure, unadulterated. Oh, yeah. It's obvious. But um, uh, as Hitler showed, when you can get to the kids, you know, you, you get to the kids, you you can get to the nation. How, and, yeah. and that seems what's happening. And most of the previews, I guess it's because it was Batman and Superman, most of the previews were Marvel, um, you know, comic-based movies. Um, but the media has a lot to do with it. And the film has a lot to do with it because we said, whereas the, the news, okay, that's one thing in this country, but the, but the movies send these messages throughout the world. And so they're much more powerful, even, you know, as, as a global entity than, than our media right in this country, necessarily. Talking to Gary Bartz here on the Jake Feinberg Show. Um, Gary, uh, do you feel, can you talk about the health? I know you just came back from a, a, big, a big tour overseas, mm-hmm. but um, after, can you talk about the touring circuit in the United States uh, for music, for you personally, I mean, and the health of, of the live touring circuit in the United States? Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, it's not like it used to be, <laughs> I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. Um, and one problem I think that no one wants to seem to address is that we have no uh, reputable agents, managers, and people in the business end of it. We just have greedy people who, uh, they don't really care about the industry. They just care about making money. They'll jump on whatever. They don't try to nurture a product, which is the musician themselves. Um, and, and that's a major problem because you have to deal with these sleazy people. And, um, uh, I, I heard something, a funny story that, that, um, friend of mine in Italy told me he was trying to book Yusef Latif and his band in Europe and so he said uh, well Yusef, brother Yusef you know how much would it cost to bring your band over so Yusef said um, about $50,000 and so the promoter said okay well let me get back to you so he called him about a week later he said um, well brother Yusef how does this sound maybe we could bring you over as a single and and get a really great rhythm section from over here. How much would that cost? Yusef said seventy thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's yeah. I mean, it, it, I mean, fundamentally, instead of dwelling on the scumbags, who in your mind uh, was a cat, a promoter, somebody who appreciated the music and was and and was was essential. To the and nurtured the music. Who was someone like that for you? Um, well, we had a lot. I mean, I think uh, Jack Whittemore, who came out of the Shaw Agency. I love Jack. Jack really cared about the music. You'd see him out hanging out with the musicians. He was a part of the family. Now, you if you see the promoter, the only time you see an agent or promoter is when they come to pick up their money. Right, right. They do not come to hang out. You don't see them listening to the music. They probably have never heard your records. But these are the people we have to deal with. They don't even know how to even present the artists that they have, you know, to the different people. And so because it's much easier to sit in an office and wait for someone to call you and say, 
can you get me this person rather than for them to go to work and say, you need to book this person. That's the difference between the people who care and the people who just trying to make money. And that's what this, this sole capitalist system is based on. But, um, uh, it's, it's just not working for the musicians. That's for sure. Is there, can you give an example of that? Like where, or like your personal experience of someone that didn't even know how to promote, well, maybe not you per se, but something in recent memory where you can give an example of what you're talking about? Um, oh, there's just so many examples, <laughs> but, um, yeah. it, I, I mean, it, it's not hard to, they, there are organizations, there are theaters, there are places all around the world who would love to have certain artists. They don't know how to get to them because um, they don't have the proper uh, people handling them. Um, and consequently, they either do it themselves or they fall back and use some of the people who they... who claim they can get them work. Um, I, I, I don't want to give any examples because I don't want to, uh, you know, people may know who I'm talking that's about. That's fine. I no, that's fine. It. I mean, it's just, it, to me, it, it lends credence to what you're saying because I know what you're talking about. It's like this, mm -hmm. uh, these, these handlers have appeared mm -hmm. and they've been detrimental to the conduit between... You know, I guess it goes back to the live touring circuit, too, where, I mean, you, if you were with McCoy, you might show up at the Keystone Corner, Todd Barkin's place, for two weeks at a time. You'd get to know the audience. Hopefully, mm -hmm. hopefully you get paid on time. But there weren't, right. it wasn't like, you know, some dude in a uh, armored truck showing up, collecting the bag of money and leaving. You know, it was, mm -hmm. it, the the anonymity is quite, is quite shocking. Um yeah, but yet you're you just why don't you talk about the positivity of your tour overseas, the kinds of places you went and the kinds of feedback you got. And 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 I mean, we just talked about the dumbing down of of younger people with movies. But I mean, it seemed to me you got quite a reception based on your comments on Facebook. Well, I mean, because the people need this. It's a it's a living uh, art form. Yeah, they can actually go listen and watch an art form growing right in front of their eyes. So it's very exciting to many people. Um, but I, I think they're in the minority because you don't have um, you don't have the promotion that you used to have with the record labels, um, and so. Uh, you either have to, you have to make, um, you know, uh, you have to lose something. Being a band leader usually uh, doesn't mean you're making money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I came from the era where I know a lot of gigs that we did with Miles. I didn't know this at the time. He didn't get paid. He did, took those gigs to work the band. Wow. Because that was important. A band is important to me. It was important. And I think without bands, music just is very stagnant nowadays because young musicians have nowhere to learn how to do this. You know, I learned from all the bands I was in. You know, I learned so each one was a university. And 
they all they all didn't make a whole bunch of money, but they felt the need to uh, um, keep a band together. It was very important because just think, if Monk had not had a band, we would have probably not heard most of the music that he wrote because there was no way you're just going to get up and play that kind of music. <laughs> right. You have to have a band that, that works together for for a year at, at least. I, for, in my estimation, two, it takes about two years for a band to really have their own identity and, and present music that has never been heard before, or at least presented in a way that it's never been heard before. And, and that's a very important thing. So you had these record labels which which would at least promote the the musicians nowadays you have nothing you have the internet but that's um that's nowhere near the same thing do you uh um, did 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 miles pay you guys and just didn't take any money oh from no he would pay he would take the gigs and and pay the band he wouldn't take anything i mean but i mean that was some gigs that's when we did nightclubs because he would he was doing the nightclubs so that the band could tighten up Right. And it was that important to him that he said, I said, okay, I'll make money another way, you know. Well, and that, and that speaks to a, the fact that there were so many places to play in Woodshed on the bandstand. And it's just really hard to, you know, uh, I was talking to Jabali Billy Hart, uh, mm-hmm. and he just said they, that uh, Charlie, Parker, Charlie Parker got his stamp in the, uh, on, the walk of, on the walk of fame in the Apollo Theater, and they're doing, mm-hmm. they're doing like a two-night uh, uh opera an opera oh, yeah. an opera yeah, well, because that's that. where the that's the only way they could generate the money mm-hmm. i mean it's like mm-hmm. this is a joke i i mean mm-hmm. and i don't understand why more business people don't get that i you know i i mean it to me it's it's like uh but i i i, I do your band your band that you're with right now how long have you guys been uh together well some of the guys have been with me at least 15 years um, and it's beginning to go through a change because things change, you know, but um, it's just important to me to have a band because uh, nowadays there are no bands. What people are going and paying good money to go see, and that's their choice, and I'm not, I'm not knocking either end of it, but what you're going to see is either a rehearsal or a jam session. Mm-hmm. You're not going to see a band. You know, if you're if they're reading music on the stage, it's a rehearsal. Okay, and and I immediately I'm ready to leave if I go in and see music up on the stage. I'm ready to go because I don't. I, I'll come to the rehearsal, but I want to see the finished product. I don't want to go to the movies to see actors reading from the script. I don't want to go to the theater and watch the actors reading from the script. If it's not that important to learn it, then I'm not interested. If you're not interested, that's the way I came up. Max Roach would not allow music on stage. Have you ever seen John Coltrane on stage with music? Never. Miles Davis? Uh, I could go on and on, Art Blakey. You learn it. This is what we do. It's not that important. Uh, you want to go to see a mechanic working on your car and he's reading from the manual? <laughs> I mean, sometimes you might have to go to the manual, but that's not in front of the, the person who brought the car in. <laughs> you know. Right. I, that's pretty, I mean, yeah. But that... it, it's so you're 
either seeing a, uh, a rehearsal with music or when they put a group together who had never maybe worked together as a unit, it's a, it's a jam session. You can't work. You don't. There's no original music. There's nothing. There's no sound that the band has has mm. developed. You're, you're watching today. What we have is either jam sessions or rehearsals, and and in very rare instances, you might see a band. Do you? Uh, uh, can you can you talk about? Um... The, a silver lining, if if there is one. Um, I guess what I'm getting at is you guys had the technical chops, but you know you weren't up there with charts. You were improvising off a theme, and you composing. were composing. We weren't improvising. I'm, we were composing. Compo- thank, thank you for correcting me. You were composing off a theme. <laughs> Last time I talked to you, you said the younger cats at uh, at uh, uh, where you in, in Ohio. You said their ears at were, Oberlin. Oberlin. Their ears were locked. Have they become mm-hmm. less locked? Do you see any sort of incremental? Uh, do you, where do you see growth? Give me a little bit of of sil- You're really on the front line, so just please give. I'm just sort mm-hmm. sort of in my hermetic bubble, but please give me some silver mm-hmm. lining. Well, I, I think musicians today are as good as any other decade. I don't think they're any worse than any other generation. You've got your greats. You've got your, you know, really good musicians. They are all good. But like I say, they're at a disadvantage from number one, they have no bands to really nurture this talent in. And number two, they started learning backwards. And so now they have to go they have to go back and open their ears. Can you go farther on the backwards part? Well, they learn by reading. They learn music first before they could pick out a song by ear. They were already reading it. Mozart didn't start like that. Beethoven didn't start like that. I didn't start like that. Louis Armstrong didn't start like that. Musicians start by ear. Music is an ear science. It's an art form dealing with ears. So if the very musicians who's doing this art form can't hear, he has to he has to put music in front of him then he's at a disadvantage because he'll be facing an audience that may not uh, be able to read music, but they can hear. They know when there's a wrong note, when there's not a wrong note. They know when the tempo is 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 dragging or when it's rushing. They know these things. Well, Um, wait, I'm going to counter, though, and say that because digital music has been crammed into the ears of younger generations, I'm not sure if people know what they're hearing anymore. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to disagree with that. <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, I mean, I mean, you know that there was a critical audience because audi- uh, uh, auditory learning and auditory process was very much at the forefront with, uh, mm-hmm. but now with, when you have di- the combination of digital music, drum tracks, electronic music, and really not a lot of, of, of real intense melodic composition, I'm not sure if people are going to know if they're missing it or not. Uh, that's all. Well, it depends. You know, I know. Uh, I what I have seen is when you put a mediocre musician who has gotten a lot of rave reviews and it might be the darling of the day. When you put that mediocre musician against 
uh, artist who is really um, light years above this mediocre musician, the audience knows. Mm-hmm. But when you see them sing as single-handed, they can't they can't determine. But when you can hear, you know, it's kind of like when you see the best against not the best. You know, if you say if you see Sugar Ray Robinson fighting a journeyman. You can see that, but when you see the journeyman fighting another journeyman, you say, "Well, you know, he looks pretty good." <laughs> <laughs> Gary, Gary, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'd like to do another. Uh, I want to. We just, we're just getting started, but I, I got to go to a break, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I want to. Are you going to? What's your t- summer tour schedule looking like? Um, we are, well, we're doing a lot of things around the country for a change. Great. You come to, <laughs> I, I wish to, you would come to Arizona. I wish we would too. Yeah. I love Arizona. I know. Um, we're going to be at Howard University on the 10th, I think that is, next Sunday. And then we're going to be in Pittsburgh at a theater there um, on the 12th. And that's the quartet. And then I go down to... North Carolina with a group Sax Appeal with uh, Jimmy Heath and Javon Jackson. Uh, then the band, the quartet, goes to Australia. We're going to be in Australia for about a week in June. And and uh, and un- unlike Miles, you're going to get paid for these things. Some of them. Okay. Oh, some of them. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I I will. I I need to keep a band working. Mm-hmm. I I, I applaud to, that. I, Is McCoy doing that? Well, we've been working. I've actually been working with McCoy lately. We've, he's been doing um, uh, like a residency at the Blue Note in New York um, Monday nights, and the last one we did was a Tuesday. But we're going to be. He's beginning to work again. Yeah. Oh, good, good. Well, listen, I want to. I want to. When you're, I'm glad you're. Uh, maybe in May or before. When are you leaving for Australia? Uh, the end of May. All right. So before. And that, actually, yeah. I'm going to be at the um, New Orleans. Jazz Heritage Festival with um, Heads of State with um, Larry Willis and Al Foster. Yeah, I was going to say. Well, that's badass. Okay, so uh, let's after you get back from Jazz Fest, let's let's do, let's piggyback on this and do part four. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you, sounds, bud. Sounds good, Jake. Thank good, you. Good to hear you, brother. Good to hear you. Good Cheers, to speak man. With you. Keep swinging. Thank you. Bye bye. We'll be right okay. back bye-bye. on the Jake Feinberg Show.